reading from Genesis. Jacob left Beersheba and went towards Haran. And he came to a certain place and stayed there that night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones of the place, he put it under his head and lay down in that place to sleep. And he dreamed and behold, there was a ladder set up on the earth and the top of it reached to heaven. And behold, the angel of God were ascending and descending on it. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord, the God of your, of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie, I will give to you and to your offspring. Your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth, and you shall spread abroad to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. And in you and your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go. And I will bring you back to this land. For I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. Then Jacob awoke from sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place. And I did not know it. And he was afraid. And he said, How awesome is this place. This is none other than the house of God, and this is the gate of heaven. So early in the morning, Jacob took the stone that he had put under his head and set it up for a pillar and poured oil on the top of it. He called the name of that place Bethel, the word of the Lord. A reading from the book of Romans, chapter 8. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. The word of the Lord. Please stand. For your attention, I'm so glad to be back. There you go. Don't yell now. All right. This is the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to Matthew. Glory to you, Lord Christ. Jesus put another parable before them, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sows good seed in his field. But while his men were sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the the wheat and went away. And so when the plants came up and bore a grain, then the weeds appeared also. 
And the servants of the masters of the house came and said to him, Master, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have weeds? And he said to them, An enemy has done this. And so the servant said to him, Then do you want us to go and gather them? And he said, No, lest in gathering the weeds you root up the wheat along with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. And at the harvest time, I will tell the reapers, Gather the weeds first and bind them in bundles to be burned and gather the wheat into my barn. All these things Jesus said to the crowd in parables indeed. He said nothing to them without a parable. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophets. I will open my mouth in parables and I will utter what he has, what has been hidden since the foundation of the world. Then he left the crowds and he went into the house and his disciples came to him saying, explain to us the parable of the weeds of the field. And he answered, the one who sows the good seed is the son of man. And the field is the world and the good seed is the sons of the kingdom. And the weeds are the sons of the evil one. And the enemy who has sown them is the devil. And the harvest is the end of the age and the reapers are the angels. Just as the weeds are gathered and burned with fire, so it will be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send the angels, and they will gather out of his kingdom all causes of sin and all lawbreakers, and throw them into the fiery furnace. And in that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. He who has ears, let him hear. The Gospel of the Lord. You can be seated. I wanted to take a moment to introduce our preacher to you today. I'm guessing many of you haven't met Aaron Van Leuven yet or haven't gotten to know him, so this is an opportunity for that. If he looks younger and hipper, it's because he comes to us from Restoration Anglican over in Minneapolis, and they're definitely younger and hipper than us. Uh, he's actually been at that church for five of their six years now. We, we planted them that, that long ago. Uh, been serving uh, in a lot of ways, and about a year ago, is it, you were made pastor of discipleship? Yeah, about yeah. that, yeah. Uh, and he's also pursuing ordination, so we thought it'd be a lot of fun to get a chance to have him come uh, so we can hear from him and be blessed by him. I have really been blessed by getting to know Aaron. Uh, he puts up well with our teasing and sarcasm. He dishes back. He's a good guy, so we're glad he can be here today, Aaron. Thank you. Thank you. Well, just a bit of uh, further introduction. Um, I'm married to Laura, a beautiful uh, woman. Uh, she's not here. She's a nurse, and this is her working weekend. So if you know nurses, the, the weekend shift is rough. We have four kids, Tegan, who's nine, my daughter, twin boys, Rowan and Soren, who are seven, and Finnan, who we call Finn, he's two years old. He rounds it out nicely. Uh, I'm a proud Pittsburgher. I grew up in that area. I grew up in the Assemblies of God, so if we have any Pentecostals in the crowd, like that's, that's me. That's where I came from. Uh, we'll try to keep it, you know, under control today, though. Um, <laughs> I did my undergrad downtown in North Central University, and afterwards I did a master's degree. Uh, and we served, my wife, my family, and I in East Africa for a few years, and gradually made my way to Anglicanism, uh, where we, when we returned stateside in 2018. 
Uh, I actually worked as Annie's counterpart over at Restoration for a while. In fact, she put up with me back there in the office um, on a weekly basis as we used your printer and your paper and pillaged your wine and, and other... Uh, <laughs> for communion. It was for communion. <laughs> And uh, eventually, as Father Pete mentioned, uh, I was made pastor of discipleship. So um, it's just a joy to be with you guys. This is the first Sunday morning I've been here. I was confirmed in this church, but uh, I've never worshipped with you on Sunday morning. So thanks for having me. Um, Let's get oriented a bit today. Last week, uh, I watched the live stream to, to keep, you know, keep track of what you guys were up to, make sure Father Pete was staying on the straight and narrow, no heresies that I could detect at least. Um, and it was a, he talked about a life oriented to God, pleasing to him, animated by the spirit within us, spirit that testifies to this incredible reality that we've been adopted by God, that he's our Abba, our dad, that we've been made co-heirs with Christ of an unimaginable treasure. Oh yeah, provided that we suffer with him. It's a great topic for a guest speaker. I appreciate uh, the topic of suffering this morning. Thank you for that. So exciting and encouraging. Um, a bit of structure for the morning. I, I want to. I like alliteration a lot. So we're going to go with three G's to help hang our hat on some points. All creation groaning, a glory to be revealed, and growing in virtue. So let's start with all creation groaning. In our Romans passage in verse 22 and 23, it says, for we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves. Paul here, he's talking about the sufferings of this present time. The kingdom of God has come, it's been established, but it's not here in its fullness. As I was studying the passage this week, I thought I would dig into the Greek, look at the original rendering of the word suffering the word pathema, and do you know what it renders in the original Greek? Suffering. (laughs) There's no sugarcoating it. This present time, if we're still in this present time, there's going to be suffering. You might be in the middle of your suffering right now. You might be walking through it. Maybe, by God's grace, you're on the other side of, of a time of suffering or Inevitably, at some point, you will experience the deeply disorienting pain that suffering brings. And so I want to mention a few caveats before we get started, as this topic hits really, really close to home for a lot of us. First, we're not going to get to the bottom of the problem of evil. So if that's what you're expecting, too bad. It's not possible on so many levels. What we have here is the portion of a letter that the Holy Spirit inspired Paul to write to a church to encourage believers, and by extension, you and I. Uh, inevitably, my experiences and my perspective and our limited time together this morning will not take into account the nuances of your suffering and how you've experienced it and how deeply it's affected you. Our stories and our suffering are both deeply personal and deeply formative to who we are in ways that we can feel but often struggle to articulate. So I want to be aware of that. And lastly, we simply cannot exhaustively know God's manifold purposes in permitting suffering. 
For as, high, for as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts, says the Lord. So with that said, let us pray. Lord, you not only know us better than we know ourselves, but you love us and your good intentions for us are more than we could ever comprehend. And so give each of us, O oh Lord, a steadfast heart which no unworthy thought can drag down, an unconquered heart, which no tribulation can wear out, and an upright heart, which no unworthy purpose can tempt aside. Bestow upon us understanding to know you, diligence to seek you, wisdom to find you, and faithfulness, that finally we may embrace you. Amen. So creation's groaning. One of the unique things about this passage the suffering that results from sin or this groaning that Paul is talking about is that it extends to the creation itself. In fact, the language employed here, that eagerly longing phrase, it, it kind of personifies creation. It's, it's as if creation is standing on tiptoes, craning its neck, waiting to see in eager anticipation something big to happen. And it shouldn't, it shouldn't surprise us if we remember the cosmic effects of Adam's sin in Genesis 3. It says, because you have eaten of the tree of which I commanded of you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat of the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread. Now most of us don't farm, I'm assuming. Do we have any farmers in here? No farmers, maybe some gardeners. But we don't hear this passage as acutely as Paul's hearers would have heard it. It was a agricultural world. If you weren't a farmer in that time, you certainly knew a farmer. You were related to a farmer. I think for most of us, at least in the summertime, the most frequent encounter we have with the growing, groaning creation are the weeds in our flower beds. These days... Most of us are many steps, many people, and many miles removed from food production. It's not, it's not just food, but it's maybe one of the most obvious examples of creation's brokenness. It's groaning in our world. It's a thing that we put distance between it and ourselves to sort of buffer us from the stark reality of creation groaning. Our food, our groceries are processed in packages and factories, who knows where. We get produce from the coast or maybe South America or Central America in the winter. If we can't grow avocados here, we'll just import them. Before uh, we moved back to the Twin Cities in 2018, my family lived and worked in Djibouti, a former French colony in East Africa, right next door to Somalia. And it's very hot. It's very dry. It's very arid. There's no agriculture to speak of. And most of our groceries came from a French uh, grocery store chain by the name of Casino. And you could get anything you could imagine from Casino, even peanut butter, which if you've lived overseas, you know is a big deal. But man, was it expensive. You paid for that peanut butter. It was always interesting telling folks back home that a huge portion of our paycheck went to the casino. Um, they <laughs> uh, took some splaining. But um, most of the folks locally were not shopping there, right? They subsisted on grain that they imported from Ethiopia or meat and dairy from Somalia. And those who couldn't afford that, they simply did not survive. 
things weren't always meant to be this way. I'm not criticizing having plenty or having variety. I think it's fair to say in God's kingdom, there will be a bounty of goodness. There will be great variety. But I think it's fair to say that the means and lengths and expense to which we go to accomplish it today can sometimes fool us into thinking we can have the kingdom without the king. John Steinbeck, he put it poignantly in the Grapes of Wrath. He wrote, and when that crop grew and was harvested, no man crumpled a hot clod in his fingers and let the earth sift past his fingertips. No man had touched the seed or lusted for the growth, and men ate when they had not, when they had not raised, had no connection with the bread. And the land bore under iron, and under iron gradually died, for it was not loved or hated. It had not prayers or curses. So we see it with our food. We see it in jobs and economies too. The, our jobs, many of us, allow us the relative freedom and shelter to shelter where we would prefer. We can keep at arm's length this groaning creation. We can choose our poison when it comes to what environmental challenge is most palatable for us. The funniest meme I've seen recently is the, the mantra of a Minnesotan. Uh, we don't have earthquakes, we don't have hurricanes, we don't have alligators. We don't have earthquakes, we don't have hurricanes, we don't have alligators. <laughs> if you can't stand the oppressive heat and don't mind our state bird, the mosquito, maybe this is the right place for you. Uh, if shoveling mountains of snow six months of the year is getting old, then perhaps Florida or Arizona or Texas are more your, spe your speed. Um, I won't belabor it, but uh, my twin seven-year-old boys this past week, we just got back from a camping trip up at Split Rock Lighthouse. And let me tell you, if you ever are caught in a drought, you need only send me camping. And that's what will bring the rain, without a doubt. Every single time I camp, it rains. Every single time. And hearing the earth groan like that, the lightning crashing, we're on this cliff overlooking Lake Superior, 40 mile an hour wind gusts, just insane, with only a few millimeters of polyester separating me from it. Unbelievably, and thankfully, my boys slept right through it. But my prayer life, on the other hand, was awakened and vibrant. <laughs> it was terrifying. It's not often that we are so vulnerable to where we can feel in our body the terror of this groaning creation. We can innovate. We buy a snowblower or we move. But Isaiah gives us a clue that it's not the way that the creator intended. The wilderness and the dry land shall be glad. The desert shall rejoice and blossom like the crocus. It shall blossom abundantly and rejoice with singing. Humanity, of course, is groaning as well. I know it seems like it shouldn't have to be said. We've all known suffering in some way, shape, or form, but it can feel like such a shameful thing, as if a person of real faith ought not have to deal with such things. But I think it's important for a moment to name some of those sufferings and expose them to the light. Think about how our cities and our communities are suffering. When we did return overseas, from overseas, we moved into South Minneapolis into an 1885 Queen Anne style home. It was, well, it wasn't beautiful when we got it, but we loved that house. We made it a home with a lot of sweat and effort and it was wonderful. It was on the corner of 34th and Columbus, if you know that area. 
Laura, my wife, she grew up going to daycare across the street, and Barb, the daycare provider, still lives there to this day. Four blocks to our south was 38th in Chicago, and with the death of George Floyd and the chaos that ensued in the subsequent riots and literal gunfights on our block, our family felt forced to uproot and to resettle in Burnsville. My point isn't about moving or staying or which is right or which is wrong. We can, we can, make, we can debate all about that. But I remember during the worst of the rioting, uh, my wife and my kids went further south uh, to stay with her parents. And all of my neighbors, all of them, uh, without question, were packing their vehicles and leaving town. And I stayed at the house that night, and my next-door neighbor, a wonderful old Somali man, Mr. Muhammad, we called him. He was kind of the grandpa of the family. He came out to his fence, and he walked up to me with fear in his eyes and pain on his face, and he asked me, what should we do? Will they, will they burn our house down? And I had an opportunity in that moment to pray with him in Jesus' name that no evil would befall our houses or our families or our block. Fear has so gripped so many of us in the communities in which we live. And not just our communities, we suffer in our families as well. I learned just this past week that one in four American adults are estranged from their parents. One in four American adults are estranged. And, and that number is probably low, given that there are some who haven't officially been estranged, but emotionally and relationally have severed the ties from their parents. Jesus warned us that we wouldn't escape this sort of tragedy, even in the church. If you remember in our gospel reading a few weeks ago, Jesus said, I've come to set a man against his father, and a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a person's enemies will be that of his own household. Now listen, I get trouble with the in-laws. I understand that. Um, but seriously, there, there's a terrible pain between loved ones that goes unresolved for, for many of us to this very moment. Maybe you feel that even in your chest right now, the pain of broken relationship. Fidelity to Jesus and faithfulness to his kingdom will inevitably come at great cost. Faithfulness to Jesus might have a detrimental effect on your career. You might be put in positions when you're asked to look the other way or compromise your, convic your convictions. You might have to decide between your career or your character, your paycheck or your convictions. And we, we experience suffering in our bodies, right? My back is suffering after sleeping on the ground this past week. Uh, but more seriously, mental health... Uh, I think Matt was talking about some of the struggles that they're experiencing in, in uh, Alaska. Mental health post-pandemic is at record levels. Anxiety, depression, drug use, suicidal ideation, all of it are significantly increased. And it's not limited to the people outside of the church. As if we get a pass as Christians. Physically, we still suffer. Is it any wonder that worldwide, perhaps one of the biggest internal threats to the gospel is the prosperity gospel? We don't want to believe that, the, that suffering has any place in his kingdom, and his kingdom has come, hasn't it? I mean, if, if in fact we've received the spirit of the living God within us, the very same spirit, Paul tells us, that allows us to approach God as Abba, as Dad, 
the very same spirit that raised Christ from the dead, why shouldn't we expect that things might go better for us? It's not hard to imagine that it ought to. Which brings us to our second point, a glory to be revealed. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing to the glory that will be revealed to us. There's a glory, an experience of God and his kingdom and his goodness that we have not yet experienced, brothers and sisters. We haven't tasted it yet. We can't even imagine it. I love how one commentator put it. He calls it the unutterable splendor of God, eternal, immortal, and incorruptible. This is that heavenly city that we read about in Revelation 21. This is the place where the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people. God himself will be with them as their God and he will wipe away every tear from every eye. Death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning or crying or pain for the former things will pass away. To the thirsty, he will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. You can see John as he's writing this, he's reaching for language to describe something that he can't find adequate words for. It's a city of pure gold, like clear glass adorned with every kind of jewel. A place with no temple, for its temple is the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives its light, and its lamp is the Lamb. A place into which the nations walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. The river of the water of life. I just want to read through a few more lines of this description. Bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city. And on either side of the river, the tree of life with its 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The tree, the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it. And his servants will worship him. They will see his face and his name will be on their foreheads and night will be no more. There will be no light or of lamp or sun for the Lord God will be their light and they will reign forever. Friends, there's a glory that is yet to be revealed. We see in a mirror dimly right now, the, the experience of your Christian life right now pales in comparison to the glory that is coming by virtue of your being sons and daughters of God set to share, sorry, I'm struggling here with this. In the very inheritance of Christ, he will wipe away every tear from your eyes and you will see his face. And we all with unveiled faces will behold the glory of God. But we're clearly not there yet, are we? No. It's joy tempered with sorrow. Hope assaulted by frustration. What can often feel like two steps forward and three steps back seems a far cry from the glory that we will behold with our very eyes. We, want to, we seem to be stuck in this intermediate condition that Paul calls the first fruits of the Spirit. We read about it last week where it says the, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God and if children then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. Internally, we sense it to be true, don't we? We know that his spirit bears witness that, that this is true. We, we've begun to experience in certain ways that the Lord is good, haven't we? 
but it's sort of like walking through Costco and they've got these little samples out, right? And you get a, a little bite of the kingdom and you're like, wow, that's great. I want to go to the freezer case and get a whole box of the kingdom. And you get to the freezer case and it's padlocked shut. You can't get to that whole box. Don't tease us like that, Lord. It's the hope in which we've been saved, Paul says. We want it in full measure. It's not wrong to want escape from suffering. It's the same frustration shared by the servants of the master in the parable from our gospel lesson today, right? The master had begun to plant this extraordinary field full of wheat, full of bounty and plenty. The kingdom of God had come near. And all of a sudden, they discover that interspersed with this good crop are weeds, Sin and suffering are threatening the goodness of this kingdom. And it begs the question for the servants, not necessarily that evil would exist, but why would God allow it to persist? Why the delay, God? Why not deal with the suffering right now? Let's get it over with. Again, from our reading last week, the fulfillment of that promised inheritance that promised adoption as sons and daughters of God, co-heirs with Christ, it comes provided that we suffer with him in order that we may be glorified with him. And so bringing us to our final point, our faithful, spirit-energized endurance in the face of suffering prepares us for that glory by growing us in virtue. Our suffering with Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit is the actual process by which we are revealed as the children of God, united with Christ. Remember, we have that internal witness of the Spirit that we're his sons and his daughters, but now through our faithful endurance and suffering, that reality now comes to fruition externally in the ways that we actually live, in the words that we speak, in the way that we react to things, we actually begin to start looking like Jesus, who said, if it be your will, let this cup pass from me, but not my will be done, but yours. Remember, it's not just us eagerly waiting, but the creation is waiting with bated breath for the revealing of the sons of God. Paul uses this language intentionally so that his hearers would go back to the garden in their mind. We don't have time to go into all the, uh, all the in-depth study of the trees in the garden, but the tree of the knowledge of the good and evil, what did that sin actually consist of fundamentally? It's important to recognize that knowing good and evil in and of itself is not a bad thing. God didn't put something intrinsically evil in the middle of his good garden. He wants us to see, he wants us to have wisdom, he wants us to discern good from bad. These things are truly to be desired. But the downfall of our first parents was fear generated from a lie that resulted in their grasping at and taking that which was meant to be received making the decision based in fear for what is good in their own eyes rather than trusting God in his wisdom on his terms and on his timeline. So one reason of many for the persistence of suffering is God's, it is God's means for growing in us the virtues that we fail to demonstrate in the garden like patience, wisdom, and courage. 
Thomas Aquinas, he said, without the cruelty of the tyrant, there's no patience of the martyr. I know it's hard to consider, but perhaps the presence of some suffering in your life is meant to develop in you a, a patience to trust that God is good and he will bring about your deliverance. Paul knows suffering. He says, we're afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed. And yet he remains patient and confident in hope. For hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But we hope for what we do not see and wait for it in patience. He writes elsewhere that this light and momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. Faithful endurance of suffering in this present age develops in us wisdom. We're continually tempted to demand the kingdom on our terms the way that we would do it. But if we respond faithfully, relying on God's spirit within us, that he develops a rock-solid, non-anxious confidence in his good purposes for us. Jesus is fully aware of his field. He is fully competent to deal with the sin. He says that he will do it. Everything that causes sin and every source of wickedness will be dealt with. He's not aloof. He's not forgotten us. Remember Jacob in our Old Testament reading, he received a magnificent promise that through his offspring should all families of the earth be blessed. Could he have imagined that it would be fulfilled by his own son being sold into slavery by his other children, only for that son to become a ruler in Egypt by which the people of God would escape famine? only to be subjugated for centuries of slavery, later to be delivered by another boy who would rise to power in Pharaoh's household, to be miraculously delivered through the Red Sea, through the wilderness, and so on and so on, all the way to the redeeming work of Christ on the cross. Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom of the knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and inscrutable his ways. Who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor? And lastly, faithful suffering develops in us courage. We're not timid. We're not fearfully shuddering, wondering if God will ever come to our rescue. He has indeed given us the spirit as a down payment, both of his promise and the power to live in Christ. The presence of the Spirit in our lives, his witness to us that we are his sons and daughters is the very courage that we need when circumstances cause us to doubt that our bodies will be transformed, that we'll ever have victory over sin. Remember, it's Jesus who said that it is good that I go away, that I might send the comforter, that the joy, the assurance of his goodness that the disciples felt in his bodily presence could be felt by any believer worldwide at any time. His presence gives us courage to confront every evil and every suffering head on. So in conclusion, you might this morning be worried that your suffering is evidence maybe of your defectiveness. I assure you it is not. On the contrary, your faithful suffering is evidence of your closeness to Christ. He is equipping you with every good thing to do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight. You might worry that your suffering will never end. I assure you that it will. 
Weeping may endure for a night, but joy comes in the morning. You might be worried that you're not very spiritual if you're suffering. Friends, your suffering is producing in you endurance. And that endurance is producing character, and that character is producing hope, and hope will not put you to shame. Because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the very Holy Spirit who's been given to us. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.